come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, hey, how's it going? This is the first time I've done a um, sermon virtually, so I'm, I'm um, excited about it. I was um, nervous about it. Uh, I feel like this this may be a little bit different of a feel of a of a of a sermon, but um, nonetheless, I um, am excited to be here with you this morning. I am I'm warmed by your presence, even even if it is virtually. Um, my heart has actually been uh, changing slowly um, over the course of the morning by God's grace um, through through this through through doing the things that we've already done through hearing scriptures read um, and prayed um, through the singing of songs, um, through confessing our sins, um, through remembering that he is um, sure and he's pardoned us of all sin. Those things have already done um, a tremendous work on my heart this morning from the time I woke up from the time that I'm at now. And I would be Foolish to credit any of that softening, any of that work um, to myself. Uh, none of that work is something that I've just done within myself, but it's actually a work that God has done through his word, through his people, um, and through, through prayers. And so I'm, I'm very warmed and excited about um, this word uh, this morning. And I'm just excited to uh, be able to elaborate um, somewhat on the patterns of our church service. Um, essentially, I'm going to be talking through um, eight different movements of our service um, and unpacking those through the lens of Isaiah chapter 55. Um, but before I do that, I would, I would like to um, just, just go to the Lord in prayer. Um, Jesus, I, we, need, we need you. We need what you have to offer. What you have to offer is irresistibly sweet. It is tasteful. Um, it is delightful. For some reason, we don't want what you have to offer. Many times we would rather chase after other things. 
but your invitation is is clear to us today, um, and we absolutely are in need of what you have to give and of who you are. Um, so would you give us yourself this morning as we look at Isaiah 55 in your name? Amen. Um, so I will try to keep this somewhat short. I know that um, it, it's a challenge to, to sit on Zoom any more than you, than you need to. Um, so I, I, I hope that it won't be too long here. Um, but I really do am praying that this is an, encur- an encouraging word for you this morning. Uh, I'm going to start out by reading a text actually from Isaiah um, to sort of understand like more of the context of, of the, the banquet or the feast that we see before us. Um, and it, I, I'm going to read from Isaiah um, 25. If, if you have a Bible or something, you can turn there and check that out too. But it's in Isaiah uh, chapter 25. And I'm going to be reading uh, verses six through nine. And right there it says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for a people's a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Listen to this part, it's beautiful. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And I open up our time with that passage in particular because this is the context of the feast that we're looking at here in Isaiah 55. Um, The feast that we're looking at here in Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He has no money, come buy and eat, come buy and wine without milk, uh, without money and without price. Um, The feast that is laid before us is this feast that we see in Isaiah 25 which is a feast um, of heaven. Our time in church is to reflect our time in heaven. Um, Our time in church is merely a foretaste of what we will experience with God forever. When death will be swallowed up, when tears will be wiped away forever. Uh, This feast that's described for us is a feast of rich food that is satisfying to us. So our gathering, church, is a foretaste of that fellowship, of that celebratory feast, of that doxological praise is in the age to come. Um, and, and, and the feast, Jonathan King, in, in his book, um, The uh, Beauty of the Lord, he had said of this feast, this is supreme joy and infinite fellowship. This feast that we're describing is the supreme joy an infinite fellowship between Christ and his church, between the bridegroom and the bride. This is the feast that is laid out before us, church, and I want us to consider it as we look through the movements of our service. So to liken our time in church together as a feast is to suggest that our worship to God, our worship to God in church is not merely intellectual. Um, nor is it just an excuse to get together like a chess club 
or uh, like a, you know, whatever other kinds of clubs you might be into. Um, but but to to liken it, to liken our time together as a feast, is um, is to experience and delight in the rich food of the gospel. So this is an invitation to experience and delight in the rich food of the gospel together as God's people. I I, um, I feel like Fletcher has made it pretty clear over the past uh, few uh, services that the model we're the model we are um, taking is the model of a banquet hall rather than a concert hall or a lecture hall. And these are the reasons why is because um, the, the banquet hall is a picture of our time with the Lord forever. And so we are going to model our service based on what we will experience for all of eternity, for all of eternity. It is to suggest that our worship to God this idea of feast or banquet hall is to suggest that our worship to God is to be a delight. It's to be a delight. I love that word delight. Uh, it's to be a tasteful fellowship. It's a tasteful fellowship. As food is put before us, we reflect on the greatness of God. We confess our sins together. We reflect on the assurance of salvation. We hear the, the word of God preached. We participate in the Lord's table. Um, we are then sent out on mission. These are all um, these are all tasty movements of our service that fill us up uh, as the people of God. This idea of fe- feasting or delighting in God's word is is all over Scripture. I mean, if you read Psalm 19, especially if you read how David describes his his time in Scripture. He describes it as something sweet. Um, it's something sweet to his to his taste buds. I have always been like struck by that language. Um, what? Why does he say sweet like honeycomb, like the drippings of honey? Why does he even have to mention that? Um, well, he mentions it because it's true. Because his word is sweet. His word is sweet. Also, similarly, we'll see something in, in, in Psalm 34, 8, as David says, taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. One of my heroes, uh, dead theologians, his name is A.W. Tozer. And one time he said of this passage that this was either the taste and see that the Lord is good is either a wild figure of speech that must be discarded as visionary, or it actually means something. And A.W. Tozer thought that that passage, Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. A.W. Tozer thought that that passage actually means something, like there's something that's there to be understood. Um, And he writes this in reference to that verse. He says, I believe the Holy Spirit was saying through David, you have taste buds in your soul for tasting, for experiencing spiritual things. Taste and experience that God is good. Um, I love that you have taste buds in your soul for tasting and experiencing God's goodness in your life. And that's really what, that's really our desire at City on Hill Somerville is for you to come and to taste and to see that God is good. 
not for you just to come and just, you know, be a part of something for the sake of being a part of something, but to know that the rich food that's offered is, is unlike any other, it's unlike any other thing in the world. And it's, it's an extremely special time that we get to, to, to spend with each other. Now, the foretaste that we experience, it's not like we're in heaven, okay? I mean, the thing is just a mess. Things are going wrong. Things are going amok. I, I'm hitting the wrong chords. Fletcher's saying the wrong things sometimes. Our experience at church is not the same as it will be our experience with our Lord Jesus um, for all of eternity. But it is a foretaste. And even a foretaste of what we will experience is sweeter than the whole world could ever offer. I'm probably getting carried away. I'm behind, and I don't know if I'm going to get through all of this uh, as far as time-wise, but I'm going to try. Uh, just a quick overview of what, what we do in church um, and I'll, uh, in reference to Isaiah 55. The first thing we, um, we do, we really try to line up our service with scriptures and prayers. Um, but mostly because God reveals himself and then we respond to how he has revealed himself. God in grace reveals himself in order we re- in order at or in order as his people we respond to how he's revealed himself. So the first thing we do is we do a call to worship, then we do a confession of sin, then we have a pardon of assurance, passing of the peace. Uh, prayer for offering and illumination of the word. Then the word is preached. Then the Lord's table is offered. And then there's a benediction. And so those are just eight movements of our service that I just want to spend a little bit of time talking through and get you excited about because these things we do in church matter. Uh, over, a, over a, a, I, I would, I would um, encourage you to just see what could happen if you were to think through, you know, if I devote myself to these movements for a period of time, over time, it will happen. Um, over time, you'll be formed and shaped by God's word. Over time, you'll be softened by your confession of sin and, and find great joy in his pardoning of it. Over time, you will find that these movements in our service will do a great deal of forming and shaping who you are. And uh, let's be real, anywhere you go, you're always being formed and shaped by the things you participate in. Your habits and and the habits and the things you participate in, uh, over time, they form who you are. So the questions we're asking is, how are God's people to be formed? And and this this is where we've landed um, under conviction of his word. Uh, So the first piece is the call to worship. Our worship begins with God, right? He initiates the invitation. He reveals himself. And uh, it's during this time I find myself stunned by his greatness. It's during this time, it's during this time that I, I, uh, I'm just shook. I'm woken up. I'm, I'm jolted into his reality. And I'm sucked out of my own reality. Um, as God calls us to worship, I've always found this time in church for me to be a time when I'm, I'm, I'm brought into his reality and I'm sucked out of my false reality. Um, why is that? Well, because for a call to worship, what we'll normally have is a passage that brings to mind who God is. He is this. And once you, once you sort of 
our call to worship is like, we want to bring you into the space that he, that where he is, this is who he is. Not so much about like, um, we're not going to call you to yourself during this time. We're not going to call you to yourself during this time because we know how dangerous that is, but rather we, we want to be called to who God is during this time. So it's a call to worship our great God. And even in this passage that we're looking at today in Isaiah 55, it's impossible to ignore the invitation. The invitation is so clear. I mean, in verse one alone, the word come is there four times. Come, 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 come. As you read through the Gospels, the invitation that, that Jesus lays out is so clear. Come. Come to me. Are you weary? Are you sick? Are you tired? Are you, are you over it? Come to me. Like we could never say that he did never, he's never invited us into his life. He's persistent in his invitation and he calls us to worship. Come like, let's look at this passage in Isaiah 55 verse two. Listen, that's a word of invitation. Listen. It's like, um, whenever Levi or my, or Levi or Calvin, are not listening to me. And I say, listen, I'm like inviting them to come into something. Of course, they know they don't uh, accept that invitation a lot of times, <laughs> <laughs> but every once in a while they do. Listen, verse two. I mean, verse two has words like listen, eat, right? That's like a force word, like eat. Come on, man. Eat delight. Verse three, incline your ear, hear that your soul may live. Those are words of invitation. Verse six, seek. Seek the Lord. Call. Call upon him. Um, verse seven. Verse seven is an invitation to return. Return to the Lord. So I pretty much just moved through Isaiah 55 through our passage today and, and just um, pointed out some of the words of invitation that are so clear for us there. Um, and every time we, every time we look at a, a word of invitation and just glance over it, we're not actually, we're not actually taking the invitation seriously to enter into what he has for us. We need to take the invitation of God seriously in order we, in order we grasp and get what he wants for us. Um, so God in grace is persistent in his call. And a lot of the songs that I will, um, that I'm hoping to incorporate into our service are songs of invitation, making it difficult for you guys to say, I don't want that. I want to make it very hard for you to decline God's invitation. I want to make it difficult for you to say, no, I don't want that. Um, and so what normally what I want to do is incorporate songs of grace filled invitation. Um, so be looking out for those. And I, I, and, and if you have suggestions too, I, I love those suggestions too. Um, I, I love grace filled songs, but what we see is God is persistently calling us to himself, which is why we start our gathering with a call from God. Um, in the movement of service, what ends up happening is we receive this call by God and grace to come only to feel the weight of how we've ignored him all week. 
oftentimes I'm stunned by the greatness of God at the call of worship, which brings me in a low place because I start to feel the reality that I haven't been taking him as seriously at all. And God doesn't leave us alone in that place. We're actually told that he comes and he meets us in that place. So we move in our service from a call to worship to a time of confession. I believe this is a vitally important part of our, of our service. If it were to be taken out, I'd be taken out. I just feel it's so essentially, it's so crucial to our walk with the Lord. Because unless we go low, we can't go high. Unless we come to, and unless we wrestle with ourselves and with God, we can't, we can't embrace him as we should. So as we are stunned by his greatness of spirit, the spirit convicts us of our sin and idolatry. And it's at this point of our service, we move from merely hearing the invitation to responding to his invitation with confession. Um, we see this in our text, especially verse 7, which I'll, I'll read for us here. Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. Um, which begs the question um, every week, week after week, what has been our way um, in, in the week? Like what, what's been our way in the week? Because really what he says there is let the wicked forsake his way. What has been your way in the week? And let the unrighteous man, his thoughts, where have your thoughts gone uh, throughout the week? Uh, where, where, what things have you been loving that you shouldn't have been loving throughout the week? What has been your way? And what, is, what have you been thinking about? What have been your thoughts throughout the week? Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is helpful in answering that question for us by asking a question. If we notice uh, in verse 2, he asks us to ponder on this. He begs the question, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? So the prophet Isaiah assumes the question of human insatiability and leads us to confession. He says, you want, you get, but you are not satisfied. You want and you have, but you're not satisfied. It's like he's asking us this question. Why do you persist to want what you know will not satisfy? Why do you persist to want what you know will not satisfy? These are questions that should lead us into confession because God has just invited us into his grace. And these are the time at this point in time, we're sort of thinking through like, man, he really hasn't been my God this week. What's going on? Um, why, why, am I, why do I go back to the things that I know won't satisfy? It's a beckoning call to come to the grace of God and find that he's, he alone is the one that satisfies. Um, I read a, I wasn't going to put this in my sermon, but I read this tweet this morning that was really helpful to me, actually, from Paul David Tripp. Um, he, he says this, corporate worship 
is designed to produce in you a greater sadness than you've ever felt before, which is sin, resulting in deeper joy than you've known before, which is grace, together producing more commitment to God, to God's will than you've ever had before, which is his holiness. Corporate worship is designed to produce in you a greater sadness than you've ever felt before, resulting in deeper joy than you've ever known before. And that's sort of really what the aim and goal is for a time of confession is for us to really take an honest look. We're not hiding anything from God, um, a, an honest look at our life and to bring that before him in order we, in order we come into fellowship and relationship with him at that point in time. Um, our time of confession is an opportunity for us as a church to bring before God a variety of sins, false wants, false hopes, um, fears that have fears that are not rooted in the glory of God, but fears that are rooted in, in man. These things flood our hearts often. Our, our, our whole week is, is, is uh, run by those things, and we need to humbly bring them before God and return to him in worship. So it is at this point in time um, that we move from the invitation to confession to our pardon of assurance to, to, find, to find and celebrate in the great rich food of the gospel as it is very real that all of our sins have been pardoned and, all, and we can find great assurance in the gospel. In go, in the gospel. Uh, Thomas Watson has famously said, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. The more bitterness we taste in sin, the more sweetness we shall taste in Christ. And the, the, this time of assurance is that sweetness that, over, that overtakes us as we, have, uh, as we have renounced our sin, which is grace in and of itself that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. But we're brought underneath, we're brought into, into uh, fellowship with Jesus, which is sweet. So as we move from confession to assure, uh, as we move from confession to assurance, the sweetness of Christ begins to fills us to fill us up. And we hear this in our text today, um, in verse seven: "Return to the Lord, that He may have compassion on you, and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For He will abundantly pardon." And that is good news, church. Um, he's able to say these things basically because if you read Isaiah 53, we learn that there's been that there's been a, a life laid down, a price paid on our behalf. And, and, and Isaiah builds this argument based on Isaiah 53. So if, if you uh, if you want to go back to Isaiah 53, I strongly encourage you to do that where you just you just hear Isaiah talk about like he bore our sins he bore our transgressions on the tree by his wounds we are healed um, the gospels laid out for us there he is able to abundantly pardon Isaiah 55 7 which is really our time of assurance he is able to um, abundantly pardon the word abundantly pardon um, instantly brought to mind to me the beautiful story of the prodigal son as he is um, lost in his own way, convinced of his own doing, um, takes the inheritance and runs off and wastes his money and wastes his life to find himself eating out of a pigsty, which my kids always really enjoy that picture. Um, 
and it's at that time he's really brought to himself, right? He's like, wow, I am low. I must return. I must return to my father. I know he'll take. And it's at that, it's almost at that time while he's eating a pig, while he's eating a pig um, food, he's sort of thinking through like, will my father receive me? Um, I've, I've abandoned him. I know I'm, I'm in sin and I haven't, I haven't been faithful to my father, but will he even receive me if I go back? Maybe he'll take me in as a slave. Maybe he'll take me in as a slave, but we know this story. And listen, this story, it, it will ne- it doesn't get old. This story does not get old because what happens to him as he's returning to his father? Uh, does his father just say, Oh, you're back. You know, you know, I might be able to find something for you um, to do. Like, that's not the case. The father runs to him with open arms, embraces him full on with a huge hug. I can just picture that the father running towards the son that way. Kills the fattened calf. It's not that his father just received him, but he received him abundantly. He received him abundantly. And, and he receives us abundantly as we confess our sins. He's faithful to forgive. He's more than faithful. He's abundant in, in, he's abundant in faithfulness. As we return to the father, it's just like the prodigal son returning to the father. The fattened calf is killed. The son, of, the son of God is killed on our behalf. He goes over and beyond what he needs to. He go, the grace is on top of more grace. His love is is sure, and it's and it's it's full of grace. So that that's really the idea behind assurance, is is to is to run back to the Father and and to be embraced by by the Father as He receives us as adopted children. We have received this same grace as adopted children of the Father. Um, from this movement of our service, we'll do a passing of the peace. Um, as grace and love is poured over us, we turn to one another, extending peace to one another. And this is a sweet time to acknowledge the togetherness of our faith in Jesus. So as the Father receives us with embrace, we receive one another. Uh, the passing of the peace is a time um, to extend peace to each other. And it is a meaningful, and it is what you make it. It is a meaningful time where we can say, um, we're, we're brothers and sisters here. Let's welcome each other in as brothers and sisters. I also would like to point out that um, if you pay attention to Isaiah 55, it is a togetherness. And if you think through actually the idea of a banquet, going to a feast, um, these things, we don't do these things alone. We do these things. I mean, imagine sitting there alone eating a, a feast or like, it's just not, there's just something that's not right about that. Um, professional skateboarder and artist, uh, Jerry Shu actually, this just popped in my head, um, did a, um, a, a little experiment called table for one where he went around New York city and took pictures of people eating by themselves. <laughs> and, uh, I had just popped on, uh, this week. I thought about it and went on there and, and was reading some comments and some people were really upset with him for doing this. They were like, Hey man, that's perverted. You shouldn't, you shouldn't take, you shouldn't take pictures of people eating by themselves. And some people were like that, you know, are you, is there something wrong with you? You're weird. Why would you do that? And, and he was just doing an experiment as far as like, you know, is there, 
there's just something it's okay to eat by yourself, but there's something about it. That's, and it's not wrong to eat, but I don't know where I'm going with this. It's not like wrong to eat by yourself, but there's something about being together, eating together a feast, especially if you, if you have this picture of a banquet, it's a wonderful thing to do these things together, to participate in this together is a joy. And we will certainly be together. Um, we will certainly be together on the great day of the feast with Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's going to be a day where we're together feasting with one another. Sort of emulate that. Um, and so passing the peace is where we were an opportunity is given for us to do that together. Um, movement number five I have written here is a prayer for offering and illumination of the word. We pray for the offering because, well, I mean, he's given everything we have. I mean, it's not like it's not like one day I woke up and was, you know, all of a sudden able to come up with my own means to take care of myself or my family. God has given me everything that I have. Every down to the last penny, um, we we have a prayer for the offering because it's something he has given to us. And so we pray that to him. Illumination of the word, I believe, is is an important piece um, the word preached will not be sweet if God will not do a work in and through it. If God does not reveal himself, if he does not prepare our taste buds for tasting, neither will it be tasted or enjoyed. We pray God illuminates his word because we're dependent on him to do that. We're, we pray that God would illuminate it. Because he alone can do that. So that's a very key. That's a, I feel like it's an important part of our service is to pray, God, would you speak to us through this word? Would you by your spirit do something with your words in, in and through your people? Because if you don't do that, we're not going to hear anything. We're going to be like those people who hear but don't hear, who see but don't see. So that we're we're in we're just a desperate we're in a desperate place at that point in time to say god do something with your word we we pray that we we pray that he would illuminate it to us so that we'd understand it and be changed by it that's a crucial part of our service um and then we move into a point in time where the word is preached it's interesting because i i'm somewhat trying to preach a word right now about the word being preached <laughs> but this at this point of our services uh, this is like the main, this is the main dish. Like this is good food for, this is good food for eating and tasting, being nourished by the word preached. Here's a question. I don't know how many sermons you've sat under your experience with churches and being um, sitting underneath a preacher. Uh, but just a question that might be helpful is, are you ever affected by the word preached or another way to ask the question, do you taste the scriptures as the word is proclaimed to you? The table is set before you. Uh, the anticipated main dish is being brought out. It's hot and it's tender. Have you tasted it? The word of the gospel is being proclaimed over you. Uh, what is it doing to you? Um, a lot of times I, I, um, I'd like to use the example of music. I know some people who can listen to music and not be affected by it. Um, now, in my honest opinion, 
it's because they're not really listening to it. I mean, they may just have it in the background and that's okay. But just as music is made for, is made and designed to do something to you, so is the word that is preached. The word preached, um, the word preached that's faithfully preached um, is, is made to do something to you because it's the word of God working through his servants. You know, and I think Fletcher said this in one of his sermons, a big part of this is just paying attention, letting, letting God's word do its work in your life, listening with your ears to what's actually being said and taking, taking it to heart, what's being preached and what's being prayed. As we are, you know, I think a question um, that I actually have just asked is, are we sensitive to what the spirit is doing in our hearts? while the word is being preached. Um, the, the spirit wants to soften and do a lot of things during that time. So from the word being preached, we move into a time uh, where we participate in the Lord's table. We gather at a table whose roots stretch not only to the first century, but all the way back to the Exodus. I think this is very important to understand um, this, this has been in the church for, for 2,000 years. Um, this movement has been in the church for 2,000 years. Way back to the Exodus, Jesus was feasting with his disciples on the Passover, a meal that God gave Israel to protect them from the plague of death and to forever remind them of his mercy. It's a meal that has continued in the church for 2,000 years, and it's a foretaste of a meal that will be eaten in the New Jerusalem at the wedding feast of the Lamb. So speaking of feasting, this is the meal that's laid before us to bring to mind the faithful work of Jesus Christ as he, his, his body is broken and his blood is shed for us. The table is a foretaste of the meal that is to come as we look to the body and blood of Jesus for our righteousness and salvation. Revelation 19.9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And our meal is a foretaste of that. I have written down here as a note, um, philosopher Jamie Smith, he's, he has said this, um, it's as if the story we've been hearing and rehearsing now comes with live illustrations. Smith goes on to point out that God gives us physical elements, bread and wine, as symbols and are a foretaste of the redemption of all things. And so we are encouraged to do that together as we are remembering what he's done for us and what he will be doing um, in the future. Um, lastly, I'll touch on is the benediction. Um, we gather, we gather to scatter. I know that Fletcher um, did a sermon on that, which was really helpful to me um, in thinking through, like, we gather to scatter. The benediction is a sending out of the church to be on mission for the glory of Jesus Christ. Um, the grace of God at this point should do, uh, should take such hold on one's affection and desires that he or she cannot help but tell everyone of the beautiful news the good and rich food that God provides has so nourished us that the gospel becomes an outpouring of what we have just received. The good and rich food that God provides has so nourished us 
that the gospel becomes an outpouring of what we have just received. So the benediction is a calling together of what has just happened. It's a calling together of what has just happened and a charge, a charge to go out and to serve our city with gospel-filled hearts. I, I'll, I'll, um, I'll confess that the benediction is not something I've ever really paid much attention to until recently. The, it has been a powerful movement in our service. Um, in fact, there was one time I forgot, I forgot to give a benediction. Something, I mean, seriously, it's something that I will never forget doing because the benediction is, is a powerful movement of our church to say, these are the things that have just happened. My, my heart has been changed by the grace of Jesus. And now I'm set aflame to go and share this news with my neighbors um, with my coworkers, I'm sent out on this mission to tell the whole world about what Jesus has done. Um, and so that's the purpose of our benediction. And, and um, it, it's just a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing to receive. So in conclusion, um, I just have a few things here, uh, concluding thoughts. Just to sum it up, we have received this invitation the invitation is from God. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus says that in John 7, 37. Uh, we have confessed our sins with one another, casting down our idols. We have found great assurance in God's ability to abundantly pardon. We have found peace with one another. We have worshipped him through our giving. We've been nourished through his word preached over us. We have received the meal that points to the greater meal. We've been sent out on mission, energized by the food of the gospel. These, uh, these, my friends, are the tasty movements of our gathering that we hold so dearly to. And my prayer for us is that over time, we let them do a powerful work of forming and shaping us into the people God desires for us to be. Forma formation happens slowly over time as we as we instill these habits of grace delighting in the rich food that he provides in the gospel delighting in the rich food like healing takes time our hearts being formed takes time and these these are the things that i am really excited to do with you guys for a, a long period of time here is to be really committed to these eight tasty movements of our church as God in his grace changes and forms our hearts. Um, would, you, would you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, I, I thank you for the church. I thank you for all that it is and all that it has been for me. I just pray, God, as, as scriptures are being read, as, as songs are being sung, I pray that they would take on a new priority in our life. I pray they would take an, on a new priority. That these, is that these movements of our service take on a new priority, that, um, that we would so want to be formed and changed by the work of your son, that nothing else, nothing else has any priority in our life. We, we desire for church to be our priority. Pray you'd make it that. I'm excited, God, to see what you will do, and I expect you to do great things. I know you will do great things. We trust and we love you. Amen.